Welcome, everyone, to the Veterans News Hour with David Corey and Richard Hurley, a national news and talk program dedicated to military veterans' issues. And now, your hosts, David Corey and Richard Hurley. Good evening, everybody. This is and welcome to the Veterans News Hour for October the 1st, 2018. This is Richard Hurley. Thanks for joining us. David Corey will not be with us tonight. Uh, David uh, is tending to some uh, personal family matters, and we wish David and his family well. Tonight we have a special guest for our show today. His name is Dr. Paul Sambataro. Dr. Sambataro is a neurocognitive scientist with the American Academy of Primary Care Psychologists and creator of the Emotional Budgeting Program. And remember uh, with uh, that this is a talk, uh, call-in talk show, uh, so we'd like, you know, everyone, if you, if you can call us, uh, call us at 1-888-627-6008. That's 1-888-627-6008. Uh, this is the Veterans News Hour, so veterans, uh, please uh, uh, call in if you have any questions uh, with Dr. Sambataro uh, or myself, or you want to talk about something, how uh, Dr. Sambataro's uh, unique uh, specialty might impact your life. I'd also like to remind everybody that we do have two special sponsors for our show, Joyce and Joe Chivaroli, whose financial contribution helps us provide this weekly show for the benefit of veterans and their families across the country. As I said tonight, we have Dr. Paul Sambataro, who is a neurocognitive scientist with the American Academy of Primary Care Psychologists and creator of the Emotional Budgeting Program. Dr. Sambataro is also the host of the show Talk Revolution, also on BBS Radio Station 1 on Tuesday evening, 6 p.m., uh, Pacific Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. He joins us tonight to share with us his insights about helping people learn to handle the stress of life and learn how to manage their emotions better so that they can live happier lives. So let's welcome Dr. Paul Sambataro to our show. How are you tonight, Dr. Sambataro? I'm well, thank you, Richard. And thank you for your kind invitation to your show and allowing me to be here today in front of your special audience this evening. You know, Doctor, I had, I had such a great uh, pre-interview with you. I think we were on the phone for about an hour and a half, and I really uh, uh, learned so much about your specialty. And uh, there's so much that you're going to be able to, to share with us, especially how that impacts uh, veterans. But before we do that, uh, can you tell us something about your professional background and experience? Yes, uh, Richard. At my age of 59 years, it has been quite an educational journey in arriving here today. I began my education at uh, Washington State University, having turned down Harvard because they didn't have a wildlife biology program at the time. But while I was in school, it became evident to the few of us in the program, as well as to the professors, that if we wanted to change the situation for animals, we needed to support people, and that really became the primary goal. I realized the greatest challenge to 
to our thinking lay in the psychology of our behaviors. I eventually completed my master's and PhD in neurobehavioral psychology from the University of British Columbia, which is situated in Canada, just north of Seattle, where I grew up. In the meantime, I was a counselor along with my wife in private practice. Both of us continued our education. I pursued postdoctorate in clinical and organizational psychology as my wife, Cynthia, completed her Ph.D. in health psychology at Walden University. We worked in private practice in Washington State for many years, and I retired recently as a school psychologist. I've conducted countless cognitive and academic evaluations for students as part of the IEP process. We have since relocated to Texas, where I work exclusively on developing tools to help the mind function at an optimum level. And that that pretty much, I think, sums up to where uh, I think we have moved on to looking at the cognitive function as being the foundation of where we want to begin. Uh, now, you, you talked about, in, in your expertise, uh, emotional budgeting program. Uh, to be honest with you, I've never heard of that concept, and I'm not sure how many of our listeners are familiar with that concept of emotional budgeting program. Uh, why don't you tell us more about that? That word itself is something I coined up, uh, and I'll explain here in, uh, shortly, but it, it is... It is something that's different. It's kind of where we go with our podcast, Talk Revolution, Everything Cognitive Function, because trying to build a perspective from where I believe and from where I feel results derive from. Emotional budgeting is the equivalent of supporting the brain's effort to organize and process emotions in the brain in the same way we think of organizing our financial records. Thus, we get the words emotional and budgeting. While there is no adding and subtraction process, it essentially details by line item relationships in our lives. These relationships are usually the kernel and end product of our emotional lives. Providing support for the brain to process our emotions enables us to increase our cognitive abilities and increase our ability to problem-solve. This program was utilized in our clinic and proved effective across gender, age, ages ranging from 13 to 59 with 100% positive re results in helping to reduce the stress and anxiety while increasing the cognitive functioning abilities. This includes reducing the feelings leading to self-medication and self-harm Problem-solving abilities are associated with delinking emotional thoughts and events, allowing to identify emotions by the event or persons responsible for them. Our acronym for this process we call FAR, Function, Awareness, and Responsibility. When issues of cognitive, cognitive functioning are addressed, we gain awareness that makes us responsible for our behaviors. A simple analogy would be the interaction between an individual and their file cabinet. When bills and or items have piled up on your desk or my desk in an unorganized fashion waiting to be filed, an individual might experience increased levels of stress and anxiety. 
the level of stress remains constant, knowing that there is a pile of information that needs to be attended to and filed. This knowledge of unorganized information only adds to one's anxiety until the individual completes the organization of that information. When the information is finally filed away in the file cabinet, does the individual's anxiety or stress decrease? This is similar to the brain's ability and expectations. Key word is expectation. For example, the heart has the expectation that blood will be flowing through its system so it can complete the job when there is a change in the blood flow i.e., for example, blood pressure changes, it can lead to adverse physiological reactions. The brain is expecting to be able to process and file information for later use. When it has trouble or there's too much unorganized information, then it too triggers physiological reactions, leading possibly leading to adverse reactions. Simply put, the emotional budgeting program provides a tool for the brain to recognize information to file, and it does so in a rapid manner. The greater the ability to file and the quicker the mind can file all relevant information, the faster the relief. The relief the brain feels from being able to identify organized information cannot be underestimated. That is, I believe it has been underestimated until now. Now, there is a system to support the brain's ability to take the organized information and file it as it was designed to do, relieving the individual of those physiological reactions associated with the brain's distress. The emotional budget program utilizes a scientific process, both repeatable in its application across gender, age, and race. It is repeatable because the program is designed with the function of the brain in mind. Our program motto is behavior follows function, that is cognitive function. Support for the brain supports positive behaviors. To answer the question, who it helps, we have completed the emotional budgeting program for youth 16 and young, younger, as well as a version for adults 17 and older. Both workbooks are based on the same concepts designed for the appropriate age group, equally effective, again, for all gender and racial differences. The key element of success is measured only by the need of the individual. In other words, the greater the emotional distress, the greater the need for the brain to organize the emotional data with clinical results indicating greater positive results for those needing more relief to lower anxiety and stress. I hope that somewhat answers that particular question, Richard. So, so what are the steps in the program and, and how long does it take to complete the program? The program is a very simple step-by-step -step process that starts and ends with the workbook. The program allows for the pieces of emotional data to be identified and supports the brain's ability to process the emotions to the portion of the brain 
that files, categorizes, and saves for future use. Individuals who are working from the workbook need only follow the outlined steps attending to the task for at least 15 to 20 minutes per day. It's called a workbook for that reason. Just as the brain builds a synaptic pathway when learning, for example, music, so must the brain need to absorb the individual's workbook material when improving the synaptic pathway for the organization and filing of emotional data. The individual is both providing organized emotional information as well as training the brain to do this automatically. So somewhere between six and eight weeks of working with the program is when the synaptic pathways should by then have built themselves a new pathway to the file cabinet location in the brain. System is simple, and the key is that you are not necessarily solving the problems by completing the program, but increasing the cognitive functioning to increase the individual's problem-solving ability. Similar, again, to the analogy of creating a financial budget. The creation of a budget does not make money, but it does allow an individual to solve financial problems. Think of a financial stress in which only the amount of money going out exceeds the revenue stream. When each line item is examined to identify why one finds the problem and or can make a decision regarding the identified problem. The individual is identifying relationships, events, community, obligations, and associations such as friendships, which is then categorized by line item, indicating the value, importance, and outcome of the relationship. This allows the person to reevaluate and diffuse anxiety associated with each linked person or event. By allowing the mind to file away this information, it essentially uncouples the data from other emotional data pieces. The workbook is not a journaling process. The program may seem familiar, but the functional support is much more targeted with an expected outcome. My hope is that at some point this will be used in school and by teaching the system in the informative student years in the same way we used to teach home economics, we may have the opportunity to change our social interactions and save lives. Now, here at the Veterans News Hour, we, you know, as you as you know, we focus on um, veterans and their families and um so what, uh, talking to our audience tonight, uh, uh, what can, how, how can this program, the emotional budgeting program, help them? And then, then, I want to get into some speci- then I want to get into some specific areas that you and I were talking about earlier tonight, uh, specifically getting into um, PTSD. Thank you, Richard. This is really a good question. As this process is not like a pill with the expectation of eradicating a feeling or a pain, 
What is expected throughout the brain training process of building the synaptic pathway is, is an increased ability to process emotions, increasing the feeling of being in control. This, this part, and I know it sounds roundabout, being conveyed, can be conveyed to others, especially children. So throughout this process, it can be conveyed to others, especially children, who may be experiencing feelings that they associate with pain. When children's pain is not recognized and there is no response, they likely may seek information and solution from their peers. The emotional budgeting program approach can be conveyed to children as a strategy to help mitigate the feelings of emotional pain, regaining the children's sense of their parental control and response to their feelings. So in the same way, as a person is going through this, depending on the support level, it could be an individual who is completing this on their own or in a family or for their children. But in doing so, the expectation here is that the brain recognizes what is happening and delivers the results. There's no need for a conscious participation, but Having said that, there is also not the immediate gratification feedback that one might expect from self-medicating behaviors or really good medicine. It's a longer-term strategy of six to eight weeks. But during that process, many of those who have completed this experience immediate relief. Although this immediate relief will be in the form of normal behaviors and normal feelings and those things that we take for granted as being functional. And this may or may not be recognized during the process. Please note, the emotional budgeting program is not intended to replace therapeutic process or medical attention. Rather, it is the foundation for the acceptance of help as well as an overall ability to problem solve an issue. So while the individual is moving through this process, they should feel an increasing sense of control, increasing sense of an ability to manage the emotional issues or problem solve for an issue. And as they do so, move forward to seeking additional help or support or having perhaps better communication. So in the end, perhaps the word we're looking for is increasing better communication and socialization. Uh, I think that that is some of the things it's it's hard for me to quantify everybody's feelings through the process as this is a, a fairly new program and uh, not everyone shares what they feel when they're completing this program, but the results have always been positive at the end. So let me get into some uh, specifics that... Um, regarding some veterans that, that I hear. You know, I'm in the trenches with, with these men and women, and um, so I hear firsthand stories about how they're feeling and, and the experiences that they have over at the VA. But I also want to remind our, our listeners that the call-in number here is 1-888-627-6008. That's 1-888-627-6008. So if you have a question for myself or Dr. Paul, uh, please call in. Uh, this is a very interesting uh, topic, 
Um, and now, uh, Doctor, I want to get into uh, applying your program specifically to post-traumatic stress. Um, we had a, uh, well, there was a young man uh, who was about 26 years old who struggled with uh, PTS. Uh, the VA dropped the ball, as usual, and uh, they weren't giving him the help that he needed. Uh, on Memorial Day, this young man uh, went into his father's study. He was staying for the weekend at his, his parents' house, uh, grabbed a gun, uh, and went into his car and actually texted a family member the following message, which was, uh, why do I have to be part of the 22? Uh, the VA has failed me. And uh, subsequent to that, he shot himself and killed himself in his car, which was in the driveway of his parents. Um, obviously, someone who was um, struggling. So applying the, you know, your emotional budgeting program, uh, you and I talked about this case earlier tonight. Uh, please share us kind of your analysis of, of kind of, where your program would fit in uh, to that particular situation. Yes, Richard, that, this is another sad commentary on the casualty of those left behind or not attended to. And I think uh, one of the things we I shared, I, I believe, before we, uh, during that pre-interview, and I'm focusing right now on hearing your words, is access. Uh, access um, we've heard the news uh, to veterans. Uh, medical health, mental health has been in the news cycle for uh, many years. And access is the thing that I think I spoke to. One of the, what I like about what I'm presenting is the immediate access of this program. And uh, no waiting. There's no line, there's no referral services. It's a direct access and can be taken part immediately. And that's my desire is to see that uh, so that these casualties can stop. And now I'll back up to speaking directly to uh, concerns to what about PTSD. Speaking directly to those who may have been impacted by P PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder. I would like to add a critical component to the understanding of this program. Again, it is not a pill. It does not decrease the pain of a singular event. In other words, if there has been an event during the service, it would not eliminate that event. I understand that there are medicines, or I've seen uh, in some research, small ways, has come a long way in identifying specific pathways to directly treat PTSD. And I am not an expert, and I'm not familiar enough with the outcomes. But what my program does is provide the support for the brain to decouple, unlink those emotions associated with that event as it pertains to relationships. So during 
a PTSD moment when the brain feels it's overwhelmed due to a traumatic event, there's often a coupling of the event with emotions. So unfortunately, the brain does not often separate those emotions and events. When the memories of the traumatic event appear or move from memory to processing portion of the brain, is usually accompanied with a chain of other negative imprinted events and emotions that are all that are now all in the portion of the brain that is trying to process. It's the reverse of processing back from the memory into the processing area. And now it might put have an individual thrust into survival mode, fight or flight and those common cliches that we hear so much about associated with PTSD. In the civilian world, this is not likely to be helpful, but instead harmful. It is vital that these emotional events, such as those, that those emotional events, such as those with wife or children, are disconnected from the trauma. Okay, so we're looking to disassociate the trauma events from other emotional data. By identifying the relationship outcomes, you support, an individual supports the brain's ability to file each of these emotions in its own file, separate from the trauma. So I think the one can see where this is designed for in part, or how it works, it supports the ability of the brain to recall without linking other events that are not associated with that trauma, which is normally the case in many, many PTSD uh, adverse reactions. This is not a precise surgical procedure. This is a depended on the individual's brain with all the difference between our brain functions. So each individual is different, so precision cannot be assured for each and every person. But I am 100% confident in the ability of the individual's brain as an organ to do this. In other words, I'm counting on the brain for what it's developed to do, what it's evolved to do. And I do not count on an individual's conscious to dictate how the brain should function, but rather the brain's recognition of your support in organizing the data for filing and its separating abilities from the trauma event. So again, we, we look at it from like a financial budget. We may have 10 normal spend, expenditures, and they're all... Uh, important expenditures. And then we have one that's perhaps catastrophic, like the car broke down uh, one month, and that could have caught account for 20% of that month's income, but it would be a one-time thing. And that you would not recognize, you would not know that, unless you had itemized each of those individual events. And that's what the brain is doing. When it sees that, it also relaxes and the stress is reduced because now you and the brain recognizes that that is a one-time issue and it can be resolved. For the families of veterans, 
The emotional budget program, when practiced by the spouse and children, provides additional insight, resiliency, and emotional problem solving in the same way it provides for the veteran with the result of what should be lower stress and anxiety with greater ability to think through problems and respond to demands. So the more severe the need, the greater the positive results. For example, the greatest adverse behaviors associated across gender, age, and race when emotionally overwhelmed, we are likely to experience a quick feeling of frustration. For children, this can result in lashing out or defiant behaviors. For adults, it may mean self-medicating or isolating oneself from family and friends. In both cases, by allowing the mind to speed up the emotional processing, it has been shown to leave a greater portion of the cognitive mind to respond to daily social demands and pressure with greater problem-solving abilities. So back to your to the young man with who found himself with the unfortunate conclusion of problem-solving his way out of his pain. The only way I can think to put it. And it is that recognition of pain and if he had access to something that would help process those emotions the way I have discussed here today, then what it would be left is his understanding of that particular trauma that is painful and being able to identify that would lead to greater ability to find a way to either people who he could describe, communicate that pain and that particular issue without it being overwhelming. And resulting resulting in suicide. Exactly. Uh, you know, and for every outcome, it, it's one would can only hope and pray that a positive access to, or an access to positive uh, support results in prevention. But of course, Richard, you know, it's, from sitting behind our desk, there's no way to guarantee uh, an outcome, but by working with support and having immediate access to me is a, is a far better cry than the when one is left feeling isolated and unable to think through and problem solve. So really, to me, it's the best beginning of a, of a problem-solving solution rather than uh, feeling hopeless in, in what appears to me in that situation. One of the things that I've found, Doctor, over the last six years, working with veterans and and you know, in probably at least seventy five percent of my cases, I'm dealing with post traumatic stress. Um, is that with the VA, um, the emphasis is really on um, on medicating. Um, Those. You know, I know, you know, they'll say, yes, they, they have group therapies and things of that nature. But, you know, when you talk to the veteran and you find out to what extent they really get therapy, uh, most of the time what I hear is the following. I go into the, I go into the psychologist's office 
and I'm in there for 20, 30 minutes, maybe. Um, uh, the psychologist is asking me some questions. Most of the time, the psychologist is somebody in their late 20s, early 30s, that have no idea what combat's all about or serving in the military. They throw a few questions at me, ask me if I'm okay. I'm so frustrated by the whole process that I say, yeah, I'm okay, I'm fine. I get up and I walk out, not before they've handed me a script with about nine different prescriptions on there, uh, of which three or four of them are antidepressant medications. They have no idea what they're even taking or what the symptoms are for. And then they go downstairs, uh, get the medication, and go out the door. And that is the extent of a, uh, an examination or treatment through the VA system. Obviously, it's not working. And, and you know, your program, you know, uh, seems to address the the emphasis being on on working on the brain, training the brain. Yes, Am Richard. I, no, it's, it's yes, it's exactly right. I want to throw in something that is a little bit uh, something I we did about four years ago when we submitted a program into uh, one of Fort Lewis over there in Western uh, in Washington State through them, and it went to Madigan for review, but. One of the things we did submit, and I'm proud that we submitted it. I'm sorry that it may not have been implemented exactly. They have a warrior transition program, but the one we wanted to or suggested, and I, I'm only throwing this out there for those who are involved in perhaps <clears throat> being able to maybe uh, think through, again, a problem solving, but it was clear to me listening to your archive, uh, Richard, that one of the issues, of course, was the lack of the, the dissolving of structure when a, when a soldier or someone in the service, they're surrounded by structure, they're surrounded by mission and purpose, and then as they come home or either retired or, or they come out of the service, that all disappears. And one of the things we suggested, and just real quick here, that I think it's nothing I, I myself can set up personally, but I'm throwing it out there as something that uh, something to think about is that the importance of monitoring and, uh, and having that observation of others who know exactly what you pointed out, who know each other in the, in the unit. So, for example, uh, an 8 to 16 squad crew has been through several tours of duty. It, it may change with people, but when they come through uh, to a central transition station, uh, it's my belief that that circle should be kept. In other words, it could be new people, but it should be between 8 and 16 uh, people linked uh, through some sort of communication in which they either know each other or meet or know that they are in a uh, squad. And then that should progress if they are transitioning into a, a civilian world. That should transition into a volunteer group so uh, some there are volunteer groups out there organizations that do provide this but I think in a more organized fashion that transitions directly from the service to civilian through this sort of small squad uh, linkage would provide the ability to uh, for everyone to keep an eye and observe and to support each other in that process now that only comes to mind in the same way that it provides structure. 
structure and structure. And so this program is providing structure for your mind, really, that is been yanked away and replaced with more unorganized information. So a purpose and a mission is very strict. It's, it has rules. It has purpose. It has very uh, definitive boundaries. And when we, when a person, individual leaves the service, that all just mostly melts away and one is left with uh, the ability to have to organize and uh, find structure in their lives. And this is what the program really tries to set up, is helping the brain maintain and develop structure and process that information to so that individual keeps moving through with the ability to problem solve in the way that he was when there was a physical structure and a, and a more... Uh, limited boundaries. So we are artificially trying to resolve some of those things that were set up and then uh, a vacuum of sorts that develops when there's a transition uh, from the service. And that's, that is the closest I think we get to, you know, looking to provide information on how that, uh, how our program supplements or tries to build that foundation in a way that is, is different. So it is not the same as therapy. It's not the same in the way that we think of going in and, and having, but it, it is in the way of supporting the control, the sense of control and the feeling that, of course, uh, you are able to problem solve and uh, not feel overwhelmed. So if a person is uh, interested in finding out more about the Emotional Budgeting Program, what should they do? The easiest way to gain additional information about Emotional Budgeting Program is to listen to the archival podcast on BBS Radio under Talk Revolution, also available on my website, www.emotionalbudgeting.com. For anyone who is a veteran or family 18 years and older, you may contact myself directly through our web website schedule and make an appointment. If you know you are, if you identify as a veteran or family of veterans, the initial fee will be waived and it can help you go through the program and explain more about it. You may also email me at dr.paul at primarycareph.org. Uh, before uh, you go tonight, Doctor, one of the things that uh, we had talked about and uh, I, I found it to be uh, kind of helpful in terms of giving me a, uh, an, uh, a physical example, a mental image, actually. Talked about uh, the windows on a computer. Remember, I, I had asked you about um, the... Uh, I made the analogy that when you were talking about the brain, I said, well, it's, just, it's the computer. And then, then we were talking about the overloading of the computer. And yeah, Richard, I think I've used that a lot, when, especially with uh, students in, in the school setting, because it's, they're all using computers now, and it, they seem to relate to it really well. But uh, maybe perhaps not as much now as it used to be when we had uh, our first windows open, and I'm old enough to remember. It used to be particularly bad 
when we would go to open several windows, maybe two or three at a time, in other words, uh, open up one window, the, uh, one program such as uh, Google, and then another one, and then another one. And if we opened too many up, it would freeze. And sometimes the computers would crash. And that's because there's a there's a pipeline of RAM from where the information is on the screen and then where the hard drive sits. And really, I think it is still an excellent analogy to how, what, how our brain functions. And similar in a way that when we go to function, we're really good. Most of us, we call it multitasking, but really we, we really do well when we're what it really comes down to is we have that conscious part of us who is working through a problem and responding to a demand. So a demand is, please do this, uh, parents to a child, please uh, take the trash out, please get your homework done, and they may say it in rapid fire. And at some point, it may be overwhelming. Or uh, at some point uh, in... And having that request, it may be uh, able to ask uh, someone, they've had a very emotional day at work, there's been a lot of stress, and then when they come home, there are immediate demands by either uh, domestic demands, maybe from the spouse, maybe from the children, everyone wanting attention, and there's an overload at that point. All the windows of the brain are trying to compute all these emotions still having not completed the processing task. So when we open five windows in our computer, it hasn't completed the task. We'll see that with uh, on our browser. There's a little circle that goes around and around, and if we open four at a time, they tend to seem to go around and around much longer than if we just complete one task at a time. And I think this analogy really fits in the sense that all of us are different with where we immediately put the information. Some of it, some of us are able to have it go in the automatic response portion of our brain where it's processed automatically, like driving. If one drives for a long time, then it automatically, you don't even have to think about driving. There's sort of an automatic response to the traffic. But if it's in the conscious portion, say, for instance, those who are just starting to learn to drive, then the full attention of having to drive is in the forefront of that person. And if they're distracted, they may likely crash like young kids do when they are distracted and driving. So this analogy of having all those windows open is important in thinking of how this program works because this program provides, takes that data as this is and then by organizing it the brain is able to process that very quickly so you would see those little revolving ball or circles stop and disappear so that would disappear into the file where it can be used again and I, I want to bring back to the point I've had several people ask me well if the person I know isn't that important why should I bother including them in this practice, in the workbook. Why should I bother with a person who I may think is important or is not? Well, the importance 
is to de-link and uncouple that information from other information so that it is not in the processing part of the mind, but is filed for later use, especially if it's not important, so that it frees up, like on the computer, Richard mentioned, it frees up the ability to work through the problem faster and more focused. So if you shut down four windows and you have the one open, you're more likely to complete that task faster and with a better problem-solving result. So absolutely right, Richard. I think that's a great analogy and definitely one that uh, I believe fits with how the program provides support to resolve those open windows. Well, Doctor, I want to thank you very much for appearing on our show tonight. Uh, again, why don't you give us the uh, website one more time that, uh, if anyone wants to uh, reach out and uh, uh, get in touch with you and, and find out more of your resources. Thank you, Richard. Consultations are available through my website, www.emotionalbudgeting.com, for parents, caregivers, individuals, and educators. Copies of the book are available digitally on Kindle and in paperback on Amazon.com. The Emotional Budgeting Workbook. And I want to just thank Richard and David for, uh, I really appreciate their invitation and to be able to have that conversation in front of all your special guests today and wish everybody the best uh, for now and in the future. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Doctor. Take care now. Well, that was uh, very interesting. Uh, Dr. Paul was a very interesting guest. Um, if anyone would like to call in to talk, uh, we've got some, uh, some more time left uh, with our, uh, in the Veterans News Hour. Our number is 1-888-627-6008. Again, 1-888-627-6008. If there's something that uh, you found interesting and would like to comment on uh, Dr. Paul, or if you'd like to bring up some other uh, topics regarding uh, the VA and, uh, and how the VA may be treating you or not treating you, again, give us a call at one 627 6008 There's a lot, lot going on with, with the VA, as we always talk about in all our shows. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about right now that I, I seem to be getting all the time, uh, veterans... Uh, I'm sure if you've got a claim pending, you've been getting a letter uh, from the VA for the Rapid Modern Appeals Program, or uh, the acronym is RAMP, R-A-M-P. You know, these letters are going out. Sometimes veterans are getting them uh, once, twice, or three times, and and it's really a hard sell. It's kind of like going to, you know, when you go to buy a car and you walk in and you kind of have specifically what you want to buy and you get there and and the salesman is just pushing you, pushing you, pushing you into buying something that you really don't want. Well, that's what's going on with the RAM program. You know, the VA is trying to push you into something that you really don't want. Uh, Right now, it's a voluntary program. Unfortunately, February of 2019, it's going to be mandatory. Um, but right now, veterans, you do not have to sign up for it. 
that doesn't mean that it's totally uh, inappropriate for you. Um, but what you need to do if you get that letter is you need to search out uh, sound uh, legal advice. Uh, find yourself a good lawyer and um, uh, let them know that you got a, you got the, uh, a letter on the RAM program. Lawyer needs to sit down and find out where your case is in the process. Um, if your case is uh, uh, in the process of possibly being resolved and settled with the VA, you do not want to enter the RAM program because what happens is this. The moment you opt into the RAMP program, then your file, your claims file, is now going to go off into the hands of somebody else, uh, in, into the RAMP department. The former uh, examiner who had your file is no longer going to be handling your file once you get into the RAMP program. What's the problem? The problem is that if your former examiner uh, wants to try to settle your case and picks up the phone and calls your lawyer and discusses possible ways of, of settling the case, uh, uh, whether you might need some, some additional inform, uh, uh, information, medical information, might need an, an additional disability benefits questionnaire uh, for, let's say, PTSD or a physical condition. Uh, well, you can have that that give and take between your lawyer and the examiner from the VA. Uh, and that can then lead to a resolution of your case. That's the, that has been going on for, for me and, all, and a lot of my clients this summer. I've, I've resolved somewhere between 35 and 40 cases over the last two months uh, using that exact process. If, however, the veteran has signed up for the RAMP program, then the, the examiner will not and cannot continue working on your file. Uh, what happens then? Well, your file is now in the RAMP department, and the VA will only consider the evidence which is currently available to them. So if you needed additional information that possibly could have uh, uh, yeah, gotten you rated for, for PTSD or or some, some other disability, if that evidence isn't already in the file, then you're out of luck. And chances are your file, your, your claim is either going to be denied or it will be lowballed. And you veterans, you know what that's about. Uh, and then what happens? Well, then you get your decision, and now you've got to appeal to the Board of Veteran Appeals, and now we're into another year or two. Uh, as, as it has been explained to me by a couple of decision review officers in St. Pete, uh, the RAMP program is nothing more than kicking the can down the road and making it someone else's problem, uh, eliminating certain cases that, that are on the books and putting them into some other books uh, that don't get accounted for. So, uh, veterans, if you get those letters, those RAMP letters, Please, please be cautious and do not just opt in. You know, even though it's going to say, you know, we're going to decide your case in 145 days, uh, you do not want to just jump and, uh, you know, if you get a bad decision within 145 days, what, what good is it? Uh, you're just going to have to appeal it anyway. 
So you're better off sitting back, sitting, uh, letting your lawyer handle it, and forcing the VA to try to uh, settle the case uh, to something a little bit more favorable to, to you and, and your claim. So again, veterans, be, be aware of the RAMP program. Uh, David and I have talked in the past about uh, some of the projects we're working on, and one of them is our documentary, um, which we will be going up to Boston and Providence this, this month to interview some professors from, from Harvard, from Brown, uh, MIT, and some authors. All of these, all, all of these individuals are experts in the course of war. Uh, you can um, Google the Watson Institute, which is at Brown University. Uh, all of these, like I said, all of these experts uh, have written books and given some great, great insight into the costs of war. Um, I know I'm, I'm currently finishing a book by Linda Bilmes, who's a professor at Harvard, uh, called The Three Trillion Dollar War, which was Iraq. Um, that war, uh, she, her book finished in 2008. So from 2003 to 2008, the Iraqi war cost us $3 trillion. This is a way above and beyond the normal budget for the DOD. Uh, so those are the kind of things that, uh, you, you know, we will be exploring. Um, David and I are really looking forward to it. We're going to, we got a whole bunch of ideas how to get get our documentary out to the public. It's going to be free. Um, right now, our plan is to do uh, 15, a bunch of 15-minute segments, uh, which will address various aspects of, of war and the cost of war. Uh, I also want to highlight United States Institute for Peace. Uh, today, I spoke at the uh, Rotary in Dade City, Florida, and as I like to do so often, I like to ask people if they've uh, ever heard of the Institute for Peace. And I had a room full of uh, men and women, business people, uh, preachers. And I think we're, there were about 60, 70 people in the room. Not one person had ever heard of the Institute for Peace. Uh, this uh, department started in 1984. Fund, it's funded by Congress. Uh, it's got a beautiful building in D.C. If you're ever in D.C., uh, I don't have the address offhand, but I'm sure you can find it. You can Google it. Uh, I'm sure you can put it on Wave, and Wave will find it for you. They have a beautiful building. Uh, it was, the construction was finished in 2011, but it's an absolute beautiful, beautiful building. Um, the, the United States Institute for Peace, like I said, is budgeted through Congress. This year, the budget was $37.5 million. Let's compare that to, remember, $37.5 million. Compare that to the DOD budget, which is $700 billion. So, uh, obviously, the um, you can see where the emphasis is on, on, uh, on our conflicts abroad. It's not peace, it's, it's war. And uh, we, we need to change the paradigm, and David and I are hoping that, you know, the documentaries that we're going to produce are going to assist people to start thinking about along those lines for our children, for our grandchildren, and 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 beyond. You know, as David and I speak so often, we we currently are experiencing and involved in the longest war in the history of 
the United States. Uh, I mentioned that to someone today, and they kind of looked at me and they said, really, you know? And they started thinking, and they said, you're right. Can't believe that. You know, you, you look back and I think you, you look back in our history and you see what, what, what's happened. Anyway, so that's uh, some of the projects. You can go to stopwar.today and check us out. But before we close the show tonight, I'd like to provide our weekly reminders of veterans and their families about an important VA program called Coaching in the Care. It helps veterans having difficulty transitioning to home life. Returning home can be a tough adjustment and loved ones can help. Coaching in the Care offers free coaching to help you help your veterans. Give the program a call, toll-free 1-800-823-7458. Its hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Again, the VA is coaching the care. Number is one 823 7458 In addition, I'd like to once again remind listeners that if you know a veteran who is suicidal or in a crisis of any kind, the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs also has a veteran crisis line to help. Call 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. Many veterans have committed suicide because they did not get the help they needed. Help them get the care they need to cope with their problems. Once again, the Veterans Crisis Line can help. Call 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. Well, it's time for us to go for this evening. We'd like to thank all for listening to the Veterans News Hour here on BBS Radio Station 1. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Joyce and Joe Chivaroli, Corey and Hurley Law Group. We'd also like to thank our producer of BBS Radio, Mr. Doug Newsom. Please, please tune in next week, same time, same station, for another edition of the Veteran News Hour. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Veterans News Hour with David Corey and Richard Hurley. We hope you found this week's program very informative. Be sure to invite your friends and all the veterans you know to tune in next week when we'll have another great show on veterans' issues. Meanwhile, you can listen to our other recorded episodes on the Veterans News Hour webpage on bbsradio.com. Thanks again for listening to the Veterans News Hour.